Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of BG Banter in the Carry Wise studio. Returning after a little brief hiatus, Daniel McGregor Hoyer. Hey, I'm back, guys. We're <laughs> going to talk about some Panthers and some Banshees. So you got to get into it. Yeah, and myself, Matthew Hutt, on a very, very cold November 11th, 2022, on Friday. And we're going to, as Daniel mentioned, we're going to talk about two films. One being Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, the latest Marvel sequel that releases today in theaters nationwide, as well as Martin McDonough's latest film, The Banshees of Inishirin, which is currently playing at Film Scene at the Chauncey in downtown Iowa City. And we're going to begin with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which is a sequel to the mega hit Black Panther from 2018, written and directed by Ryan Coogler, and is also the 30th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this film stars Letitia Wright, Lapita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrera, Winston Duke, Florence Kasumba, Dominic Thorne, Tenoch Huerta, Martin Freeman, and Angela Bassett, just to name a few. And the plot of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, or Black Panther 2, depending on who you ask, um, it follows the nation of Wakanda after the death of King T'Challa and how they have to protect their world from an incoming threat known as the Talakan, led by Namor. What did you think about this movie? Yeah, I guess for starters, we should probably give like some background. So yeah, obviously, uh, before this film was initially released, um, our unfortunately um, acclaimed actor and Black Panther actor Chadwick Boseman passed away and during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and apparently it put Ryan Coogler in a very top spot. Um, Coogler has said that you know this was probably one of the toughest films he has ever had to write film edit because of the loss of Chadwick Boseman and obviously there is going to be things that will be addressed um with Boseman's character in this film and you know honestly I think the I think you know despite the loss of Chadwick Boseman Black Panther Wakanda Forever is able to stand on its own as a really good sequel and in my opinion i think it's far more entertaining than the original um i don't know if it's gonna have the same legacy or impact that the first one did because the first one did what the first one did was really impact like you know how um we like really the first black superhero not like the first black superhero but like you know the first one to really like dissect a lot of like these um themes of race and identity and like conflict and with this one like they do the same thing here but i think it works um a lot better um and really i was really engaged i think angela bassett probably gives like probably her best performance of her career here apart from like um the ike um the ike and tina turner biopic what what's love got to do with it where she was really good in that and um I think like a lot of the other actresses do a great job. I really like uh, Letitia Wright in, um, in a more elevated role. I really like um, Danai Guerrero. Um, I think, you know, it's really great to kind of see these actresses again in these roles. And really, a lot of respect, I really do like the slow burn nature of this film. And I think, I think it benefited it much better than I would say the first one. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. The first Black Panther is one of those rare films, especially nowadays, that I believe is worthy of being called a groundbreaking a groundbreaking film. Uh, 
and anyone could tell you that it's one of those movies that clearly left a cultural impact that is still being celebrated and looked at today, even four years later, and on top of grossing a lot of money and also becoming the first superhero film to be nominated for the Best Picture Oscar, it clearly left a mark. And after Chadwick Boseman's death in 2020, there was a lot of uncertainty around this film because we all knew a sequel was going to happen eventually. But after his death, then that really was just like, what are they going to do with this? Like, we knew that Disney and Marvel, even though some sometimes their business decisions aren't great, we knew that they weren't going to recast Chadwick Boseman because that would just be completely disrespectful to his, the legacy he left. And But still, how do you create a sequel to not only such a popular film and make it stand out, but also with your main star not being in the picture anymore? And that was one of my big concerns going in, even though the art marketing seemed very, very good. And coming out of the theater, I will say that this is a good film, and I admire a lot about it because there was a lot of pressure, there was a lot at stake, and a lot to live up to. However, I don't think it was as good as the first one, and here is why. The first Black Panther had a very grounded tone that also managed to stand on its own compared to the other films of the MCU. And of course, since the first Black Panther, we've had so many changes throughout the MCU, such as the death of Tony Stark, spoilers, Thanos um, snapping away half of humanity, and the multiverse as well. So there's a lot that you have to add. The problem I have with Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the fact that the story really feels a little too similar to the first film and also doesn't really improve upon it because it adds so much of the common um, complaints that most people have about Marvel films. It does like, oh, they're setting up the lore, they're trying to expand, and they're not just focusing on telling a good story. When it does work in the story's favor, such as the emotional moments, the performances, and even like its visual style, that works really well. But I'm, I didn't find myself nearly as attached to this narrative as I think the movie really wanted me to, especially within the, the first few scenes heavily revolve around the death of King T'Challa, and which is nice to see that the movie is actually implementing that into the narrative and, and making it the core emotional heart of this movie because it's very moving and very um, and very touching too. Like the whole time throughout that entire opening sequence, the theater was dead silent. You could hear a pin drop. And that's really, really awesome. But as the movie goes on, it just, it didn't feel like it was anything super fresh. And not to say that I was ever bored, but I feel like the movie did not necessitate a 161 minute long runtime. Yeah, they could have easily cut a half hour out of this movie. So to say, to say it's an un- underwhelming sequel, Possibly, like it, just because the first one left was left such a high mark, but I still enjoyed it overall. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like you know there is like a significant difference, and I think it is pacing. Um, because obviously, the first film, like whether like you know you were bored by it or not, you could argue that you had a little bit more momentum. Yeah. Compared to this one, I mean, this one definitely is a little more slow burn compared to the first one. Like the first one's like, okay, yeah, we got. Ulysses Qual, we got to go after, go. And then it's like, oh, we got Killmonger to go after, go. So it's like they were, it was a constantly moving plot line. Here it's like, you know, it's a lot of time really reflected on the characters and, you know, what they're going through, especially uh, Letitia Wright's character and Angela Bassett's character, because initially they're all basically, 
it was all really centering around the theme of loss because, you know, Chadwick Boseman was such a big um, presence in the first film, but he was all, but his, his character T'Challa like had such a commanding presence in the first film. And even like in Civil War, he kind of had that pref- presence as well. And so with that kind of like said, like, you know, I'm guessing, I, you know, I admire it more for that risk, I guess, because I think, you know, it is looking over loss and, you know, how it's affecting people. And like, you know, like, is it going to make me like move on very quickly or is it going to make me regret or is it going to make me angry? Like that is really like what the film is really examining um, and is really taking its time to kind of let that sit, which, you know, I... I mean, I like slow burn movies. I really love them. I mean, I love The Green Knight. I love Blade Runner 2049. Like, those are slow burn films. And to be honest, I really think this is like, I mean, definitely the best of phase four, in my opinion. I mean, oh, you think so? I mean, I, I mean, I'm guessing because, like, you know, if Spider Man, like, um, no Way Home, which, you know, I, I liked. Like, I was entertained by, you know, it's probably, like, one of the best theater experiences I've had um, during this phase of Marvel. Um, let's face it, it was basically fan service the movie in some instances. And, it, no, it had a lot of dramatic moments, and it had a lot of big moments, too. And I always liked this character of Spider-Man. But this one, it's like, you know, I kind of like much more the nuance with this one compared to everything else in this phase because I feel like either everything else in this phase was either a misguided idea or underperforming of expectations and I feel like this one really lived up to the expectations I had for it no it does have flaws it has I mean I think the villain despite you know having a very interesting backstory is really not that captivating or intimidating I mean the dude is OP as hell but it's like I mean, heck, um, he is you're, you're OP fine. as heck, but he is just very, uh, he's not, he's just a very generic villain. Like, I couldn't really understand, like, like, I mean, I guess I couldn't really grapple with this character and, you know, this wasn't that intimidating and there was some other story beats that I don't think really worked in the film's favor. You, you touched on two things that I think are the biggest problems with this movie. One is... The story, which we kind of talked about. I'm totally um, fine and also think one of the best parts of the movie is the way it handles its emotions, especially when it comes to handling death and grief and loss. That's very effective, but it that's how the movie begins and it takes forever for the actual plot to get moving. That's my problem. And of course, that's the big emotional crutch of the film, but once they introduce Namor and the Underwater Kingdom... Not that that becomes an afterthought, but then the actual plot starts and then it doesn't really weave together very well. It feels very separated. And of course, it was meant to be a tribute to Chadwick Boseman and it's very, very effective and good, but it doesn't blend into the narrative nearly as well until we get to Lupita Nyong'o's character, who, by the way, I don't think this is a spoiler. She's not introduced in the movie until basically an hour into it, mm-hmm. which is a little strange. But um, yeah, it just it takes a long time. Like by the time we finally get Namor interacting with um, um, Shuri and Ramonda. That's like a while into the movie. And it's just like, okay, finally the movie's getting started. It takes forever for that, for the momentum to get going. And speaking of Namor, that's another part that was disappointing because Killmonger is one of my favorite 
villains in the in the MCU. Just his motivation, his, Michael B. Jordan's performance too. He he was a very realistic villain, and even if you don't agree with his motivations, it seems like plausible. His motivation actually makes sense. He's not just like the bad guy who wants to be bad for the sake of it. He actually has a point to his to his actions. Namor feels like basically, in my opinion, a budget version of of Killmonger yeah, because. Yeah, First of all, what you said, he's way too OP because he's basically an underwater god. But his motivation for like wanting to take over humanity is so weak and lame, honestly. I get that he wants to get a hold of the vibranium because he believes, kind of like what Killmonger believed, like, oh, we should be sharing these re- this resource throughout the entire world and like actually give them opportunities like, like for weapons and also to help like lower income economies too. Like that's interesting. But that's not what Namor wants to do. He just wants it for his own kingdom's power. So he just he's just a glutton for power and he's not interesting. I don't mind the performance. I actually think the um the actor, Tenoch Huerta, did a did a decent yeah, job. He's not really a bad actor in this. No, the performances way. are fantastic, yeah. but his characterization is so weak. And when you compare him to Killmonger, it's just like, man, it pales in comparison. And especially to in there's some scenes when he's like flying around where he's literally he's like um Hermes, like Hermes, or who's who's the who's the guy from? I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Who's who's Orlando Bloom's character? Who oh, everyone Legolas. makes fun of for being yeah Legolas. Legolas. Everyone makes fun of Legolas for being the most OP character who has no weakness, and b- except for besides Namor's only weakness being um, no access to water because he's a fish man. He's basically Marvel's version of Aquaman. Yeah. He just he's unstoppable. He's an unstoppable character, and unfortunately. For me, my my investment in him as as a character is ultimately weakened because he's he's basically unstoppable. Yeah, and there's, I think there's also some other plot threads that I don't think really add too much to the story. I think uh, with Ramonda uh, or like Riri Williams. Um, oh, Ironheart. Ironheart. I feel like initially I felt felt like they had something for her to do. Like, and no, they give her things to do. I mean, when. She when she does what she does, it can be pretty entertaining. But I think it's like she kind of felt like an afterthought after a while because like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, it's the American scientist, and then it's like, oh yeah, that's right, we have we we have the American scientist. What are we gonna do with yeah. her? We're gonna transition to a quick PSA, and we'll be right back with more Bijou banter. Welcome back to Bijou banter. We are continuing our conversation on Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, and we left off with the character of Ironheart. This is her introduction into the MCU, and I'm not really familiar with the character, but after doing very, very basic research, and when I say that, I mean looking at the Wikipedia, um, she was created in 2016, so she's a very new character, and she's set to have her own Disney Plus series in Phase 5. So this is another, like, this type of thing where it's like, we got to introduce a new character into this into this universe, and now we're going to put into the Black Panther sequel. Of course, her character has something to the plot, so that she has reason for being there, but it's only for like one scene yeah. and then she's just there. And as far as we know, we've had no emotional attachment to this character and she's not really made interesting because it's it's a story about Wakanda. It's about Shuri. It's about the it's about the Wakandan kingdom. So and mourning the death of T'Challa. That should be the focus. So when you have all these new elements, and the same could apply to the Talakan kingdom, because now we're introducing an entire race of people into the into the MCU, it's going into like Eternals territory where it's like, oh, they've just been here this entire time and we have to like develop everything in one movie and not give them enough time to actually go through it um, me- me- methodically. 
So it's like things like that that ultimately just distract and the movie becomes bloated. Like there's a lot of stuff that ultimately just feels like it's filling up the runtime, even though the movie's so long to begin with. If the movie was like 90 minutes and they had to pad it out, then fine. But the movie's already so long, just like, gosh, like couldn't we like cut some of this out? Or like if you want to like narrow it down a little bit more? I mean, to be honest, like despite the pacing and some things that felt very unnecessary... Um, I felt like I didn't feel the length of this film. Oh, really? I mean, I at didn't. least up until like the very end, we're just starting to wrap up. But then again, I think just like typical with like films this long, where it's like, okay, yeah, we get it. You guys are wrapping everything up. Let's just go home already. Get to the post creds. But it's just like, honestly, I didn't. I felt like it was pretty well paced. I feel it didn't. Because it still held my attention, and I think that's because you know the actresses are and actors are still doing a good job um, in the roles that they're given. And I think, like, Letitia Wright especially does a great job. Like, yeah, she's you know, very good. Yeah, she does a great job. Angela Bassett, like I said, like, man, powerhouse of an actress. How is this lady not given an Academy Award nomination yet? Like, she's just amazing. She's, she's fantastic in this movie. Is really yeah. probably the emotional heart of the entire film in terms of the character, too. Yeah. And I guess my problem, too, with this movie is that even with the story being bloated, it still manages to be, like, very similar, have very similar plot points to the yeah. first Black Panther. And people people um, criticize the first one for being a formulaic narrative, especially, with, like, being the origin story, too, which is which is understandable. But I was expecting more from the sequel, hoping it wouldn't be the same. There are some moments where it literally feels like I'm watching the same movie. Again, especially when Namor like invades Wakanda. That's not really a spoiler, I don't think, because yeah. that's the second act of the movie. Once that happens, then it just feels like the first film again. So it's disappointing when by that time, it's just like, okay, I have an idea of how this is going to go, and it's just going to be drawn out for a longer period of time. That was disappointing. Yeah, so. and it just kind of felt like that, you know, this film... I mean, and yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. It does have those, like, story beats, like, there from the first film. Because, um, I mean, there's, like, times, like, yeah, this is very, very familiar. <laughs> I mean, and it just happens to be a little bit more, like, there happens to be more going on. But instead of, like, benefiting the plot, it kind of makes, makes the similarities seem obvious. Because, I mean, it should be expected at this point that this film's going to be, like, compared to the original. Like, it's going to... Oh, of course. <laughs> And I mean, and I guess like you know, it it is like a very formulaic plot, and it does. And it's like time to say, okay, I could predict who is gonna, who's gonna live, who's gonna die, what's gonna happen, and it's just like it just doesn't. And I guess it doesn't just mesh cohesively, which yeah, it is an issue I have with the film apart from the villain. Because I feel like you know they want to have all these elements in the film, but it's like they just don't have a way of keeping it organized because I think they, and you know, at this, and you know, I still like commend like Cougar for doing what he can with this story because, you know, initially this was supposed to be a story with T'Challa and mm-hmm. initially what happened after Bozeman's unfortunate death, which, you know, was really out of anybody's hands. Like he can't necessarily do anything about that. So he's like trying his best, you know, like really, like make it a sequel to Black Panther, but also trying to honor somebody. Yeah. So which you know, it's a very tough task to do, and I think it's very commendable. Like I, 
I know for most of this conversation, we've been kind of negatively comparing it to Black Panther, but I want to give a positive comparison. The CGI. Oh, because yeah. Because the, the first Black Panther had some of the most laughably cheap CGI in a in a mainstream action blockbuster. The, the practical sets and, like, costumes and all that, that's clearly where the budget went to, and that looks amazing. But, man, they didn't give the VFX people enough time yeah, or, or cash to do that. Same, but... Thankfully, in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, it is much improved. Granted, it doesn't look amazing because Marvel CGI in general, this especially in Phase 4, has been lacking. But it looks way better. Like, nothing really, with the exception of, like, one shot where a character is jumping into the water. And you may know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That looked hideous. But most of it doesn't go down the route of PS2 graphics. It actually looks decent and passable oh, yeah. for once. And still, like the first one, the visuals are incredible. It's a very pretty-looking movie with a lot of emphasis on the culture and, like, especially in the costumes and the the world building. Especially with the Talakon Kingdom, that was it has like underwater cinematography, which unfortunately will probably pale in comparison when Avatar: Way of Water comes yeah, out next exactly, month. Yeah. I joked on Letterbox that Disney basically ripped off Avatar two before Avatar two, so. We'll wait and see when that movie comes out, but honestly, given the direction that Marvel CGI has been going down recently, this could have looked a lot worse. Oh, yeah, and, and I think it's like, you know... It looks better than Thor 4. Honestly, it's probably the best CGI in this phase, to be honest. Like, you know, it, I, I'd have to agree. Yeah, because honestly, like, the visual effects didn't really distract No, me. they looked fine. Yeah, because all the other, like, Marvel films I've seen prior to this, like, at least in Phase 4, have either looked really cheap or just not rendered very well. And here it's like, yeah, it's typical Marvel CGI, but honestly... I think our standards are so low now. Yeah, so. it's, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, maybe if Dune. I would try to, like, watch this back-to-back -back with, like, Infinity War or something, oh, like, yeah. you know, that's, like, probably the best of, like, the visual effects that Marvel had. I think like we're gonna probably like I mean you'll probably see like apples and oranges maybe who knows but it's but I feel like you know it still did like it still it looks did its good job. it looks good and you know maybe James Cameron is like either gonna be scoffing at the bag if he's like huh, I did it better I mean they did it better than me who knows but yeah. I don't know I mean the Avatar trailer looks pretty cool not gonna lie but I'm, we'll kind of see we'll kind of yeah. see. I, I do have a question. Do you think that this movie, Wakanda Forever, will have the same legacy and impact that the first film did? That's, that is a very rough question. I mean, although I do like this better than the first film, I don't think it's going to have the same impact um, that the first film did. Because I think the first film, although, yeah, it has its flaws and, you know, the story's not the strongest um and you know obviously the visual effects are not the strongest but i do think like the first film accomplished what it needed to accomplish which was trying to be meaningful in a lot of the ways it wanted to be and it and i think it really t like really analyzed the themes of race and conflict and you know support and not support and i think it really analyzes those elements very nicely um and i think and I think that's what makes it kind of stand above all the other Marvel films because it has something meaningful to say. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like with this one, although it, this one is probably going to be looked at as just a film that, you know, was, is good, but is going to be, is going to be like running off the fact that of Bozeman's unfortunate death. 
Because I feel like that might be something that's going to be reflected poorly on this film. Um, because, you know, it's not to say that... And, it, and to be honest, it's out of their control. Like, they couldn't do anything about yeah. that. Like, it, it's super unfortunate. And I mean, Ryan Cougar and everybody involved in this film really, like, was really worked hard to make a story out of this. Because, I mean, and it was probably one of the toughest experiences to do. It's like... A death of the lo- a death of a loved one, and you know you're trying to work yourself through to get that story right, although you're having so much grief and so much difficulty because there is such a big hole there. And I mean, and although they did a good job, like really filling that hole, it's like it's gonna be hard to really look at Black Panther two without being reminiscing of. Black Panther one because of that commanding presence that Bozeman had in the first one. Um, and I think, you know, that could probably mean that could probably dwell on like, you know, a lot of people a lot more than I would say the first one did. And that's going to be something that might just be a little bit rough, like going into this because, you know, that's just the obvious thing. That's the obvious elephant in the room that, you know, people have to acknowledge and it's, it's, it's going to be rough. I think the main difference for this, in terms of this film's legacy, compared to the first film, and I already alluded this to this in the intro, the first Black Panther already continues its cultural significance and relevance. Like it's still being studied, it's still being enjoyed by millions around the world, and Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. I think, unlike the first one, which will have probably an ever like an elongated legacy till the end of time. I think this one will probably have an impact for at least a few years. And unfortunately, I'm trying to say this in a very respectful way, will likely fizzle out. And it's mostly because of Bozeman's passing. And it's not to say that he's going to be forgotten or anything. He's, his legacy is going to live on forever. But it's such an important part to this film at this moment in time, especially especially if you see it opening weekend too. There's already footage of people on online posting like, theater footage, which you shouldn't do. I don't recommend yeah, doing don't that. Do that don't do that. Um, but it's just like, it's you could tell that people are being very respectful and very um, honest about this experience because it's, hap- it's so, it's relevant to our time now because most people, pretty much everyone remembers the, the day when he passed. It was like late August of 2020. I still remember where I was when oh, I yeah. found the news. Like, I remember I was on one of my search it's like, okay, um, like I was watching. I was I'll... watching King of Staten Island when I saw the news. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's like it's gonna have a it's gonna have significance now. I'm not sure how it will be that'll be focused on later, especially if we're gonna judge this movie as a film and not just a tribute to Chadwick. Because as a film, it's the story. The story really isn't great, unfortunately, and I don't like saying that because it's not like no one tried. This this movie has so much passion and heart and soul put into it way more so than I think any other film in phase four and even in an MCU film and like probably since the first Black Panther honestly yeah most definitely like the only thing I think that comes close might be Infinity War and Endgame because that was just a culmination and, yeah, I mean, I'm guessing the Guardians too too because I mean that still had like yeah emotional heavyweight in it yeah but this one really was the is the first which is refreshing because the MCU just feels so corporate now unfortunately it's refreshing to see like an emotional moving story that you can tell the people that made it wanted to make it it wasn't because of profit they wanted to tell a story so i feel bad for saying that but just i gotta be honest like 
it really the story just wasn't there and it wasn't as strong as the first one and it is very flawed and the first film has flaws too but there is unfortunately more flaws from in the sequel so yeah, yeah. i mean for sure and you know i'm guessing it's like you know it will be a couple years before we can kind of see what wakanda for, forever left um but you know i'm I am pretty excited to see what's next for these characters. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, because it's kind of like, you know, the James Bond thing where it's like, you know, um, not the James Bond thing. Like, unfortunately, there was another passing today of uh, Kevin, Kevin, Con- Kevin Conroy. Um, he was the voice of Batman. For me, that stung a lot. To yeah. Me. Like, oh, man, I used to watch that actor so much. Um. But the thing is, there are so many different iterations of this character um, that, you know, are going to be thought of. And I think, you know, this I'm excited to see what the next iteration of Black Panther could be in the future. Um, and this film, like, I think really has a solid, um, I don't really want to spoil anything, although it is, it is very, very obvious, to be honest. I mean, you could watch the trailer and, like, know it's like, yeah, we know who the new black panther is yeah but it i shouldn't th- come as a, as a surprise <laughs> yeah, honestly shouldn't. but i think it's like you know i think the best thing we can do is kind of like see different iterations of the of the black panther mantle um like how we saw different iterations of the batman mantle because you know despite a lot of big losses um from this film like from chadwick boseman's death i do think that i'm very I'm really wanting to see more of, like, Black Panther still. I mean, which, you know, is honestly something I never had of a Marvel film this this year, really, apart from, like, maybe Miss Marvel because, you yeah. know. Or that, Moon Knight. Yeah, or Moon Knight because, you know, they kind of gave me a little more expectations. And this is, like, honestly, like, I want to see more of Wakanda. I want to see more of this world beneath Wakanda. I really want to see more of these actresses because they're such great actresses and i'm i'm pretty excited i mean i'm pretty excited should should we wrap up our conversation on black panther yeah so final thoughts yeah i i mean i think despite the heavy loss um from that um involved chadwick boseman i really commend ryan coogler and company for making a film that is emotionally powerful and very like moving um and yes the film has flaws like it the villain is not really that interesting the plot is like pretty bloated it kind of lacks momentum a little bit but i'm guessing for me it's like i was a little more entertained and i think i was a little more kind to this film because you know i'm really commending the fact that you know they managed to get this out despite chadwick boseman's loss and I really appreciate that they they really came out with something really good here, and it, in my opinion, probably the best of Phase Four. Um, and so I think initially, I mean, I'm gonna give this film an eight out of ten. I mean, I don't think it's gonna lay the as big of a, a legacy as the first film, but I still think that you know it's still a film worth watching regardless. Yeah, it it is it is a good film, and especially if you loved the first film as much as I did, then you should definitely see this film if you would like to. However, I would I would be lying if I say if I said I wasn't kind of disappointed by the sequel just because and obviously it had massive shoes to fill. There's no denying that. But 
even despite their best efforts, it still did not um, reach the same level that the first film left. And But it does make up for that with really solid performances, the same really awesome style, and also the very emotional and moving tribute to Chadwick Boseman. So it's worth it for that alone. Um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is is good, but I honestly don't see myself revisiting it like the, like the first film, at least for a while. It might be a bit before I come back and see this. But yeah, check it out in theaters if you would like to, and I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. So we're going to transition from Black Panther Wakanda Forever to The Banshees of Inishirin, which is the latest film from writer-director Martin McDonough, who is best known for In Bruges and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And it stars Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Kerry Condon, and Barry Keoghan. And the plot of Banshees is it's about two lifelong friends who uh, who find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their friendship and there's an alarming ultimatum. And that was from IMDb. So what do you think about this movie? <laughs> Which, unfortunately, you haven't seen. Yeah, I haven't seen yet, but I mean, I'm going to. I mean, I, there's been a lot of talk about this film, especially in awards season and especially with the critical praise it's been getting. I mean, I don't think my letterbox hasn't been empty and void of Banshees of Anishirin reviews. And I mean, I'm pretty hyped to see it. I'm not going to lie. Um, because, I mean, I like Martin McDonough. Martin McDonough is a very talented director. I really like him, Bruges. I really like Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I, he's a really great director. And I'm, I'm honestly pretty excited for this. And so hopefully, like, your um, critiques or your uh, praises or if you have any, I mean, yep. you should. I mean, I'm guessing. But uh, what, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I really, really loved this movie. And I've only seen Three Billboards. I haven't seen In Bruges. And he also did Seven Psychopaths. Did oh, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah he I, did. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I've only seen Three Billboards, which I really like Three Billboards. And that was um, Oscar nominated, had a lot of great praise around it when it came out in 2017. So this one was highly anticipated. However, it kind of slipped under my radar. I didn't really, I knew about its existence, but didn't really know what it was about. So I went in kind of cold, which I think was probably for the better. And if you haven't seen uh, Banshees of Inishirin yet, I would recommend not really looking up much about it because... What really makes this film special is the way it manages to blend its emotions. It's first and foremost a black comedy about these two characters, um, Padriac, played by Colin Farrell, and Calm, played by Brendan Gleeson. And Calm decides just to, end, to abruptly end their friendship. He just doesn't want to be with Colin Farrell anymore. And Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell is just confused, really. He's just like, did something happen? And then once it just builds and builds to the point where Calm's like, okay, Stay away from me or else I'm going to go into serious measures, which I'm not going to spoil. But it's that type of buildup and the way it's so well written. This movie won the Best Screenplay Award at the Venice Film Festival. And honestly, I believe it should actually, everything ever all at once might, might, should probably take that title. This should definitely get an Oscar nomination for Best Original Screenplay because it is so funny, but also so heartbreaking at the same time. It does such a great job at blending the two because... Even though it when the characters talk and when they're just like sitting around drinking and just they just naturally say funny things and funny retorts back towards each other, but also the reason for why Calm decides to break this friendship is very emotional and also something that we should probably think about too because he wants he's a he plays the fiddle and he was wondering like okay what are he he compares it to Mozart's like what what do we remember about Mozart it's like we remember his music but do we remember the conversations that he has or the conversations that we have no it's the legacy that we live 
And that's really interesting and is way more of the dramatic side of the film that is not really heavily advertised in the trailers, probably intentionally, because when you go see it, you're just like, while you're laughing like hysterically at some moments, but then when it when the dust settles and it's just like really quiet, then you're just like, wow, you have to like sit down and reflect and like take your time. Like, what are we what should we be doing with our lives that people are gonna remember us about us like fifty years from now? Like are aren't people gonna remember this conversation that we're having right now about Banshees of Inishirin? Or are they can remember like the stuff we do like when we go on to have full time careers or something. If we like change the world or like solve some sort of like cure for a disease like that's probably what's gonna be remembered so it's very moving honestly yeah, honestly it sounds that way i mean because you know i actually i have not watched any trailer for this film oh the tra- the trailers aren't bad i yeah. should i should preface it. it's not like the trailer for x where it gives away the whole movie yeah. pretty much so i mean because i mean i'm guessing it's like you know maybe because i've been in a windowless room for the past like couple months like editing editing things that it's like I haven't been in like a good like I just haven't been like on the whole world wide web that often um and I think obviously there's a lot of catching up I should do and I think Banshees of Inishiran is probably definitely the one thing I gotta catch up on because I mean honestly I do really like stories like that you know kind of I mean I guess there's like something very like at least in the poster it kind of reminds me a bit of like um you know, the shores of Scotland in some way, except I think this takes place in Ireland. Yeah, it's on, a, it's on an Irish island yeah, in 1923, Irish, so yeah. it's a period piece. Yeah, too. most definitely, but it's, like, something where, you know, I'm guessing there's, like, something about, like, those rainy um, northern England, like, atmospheres, I guess, um, that I, I really attract me to, like, something like this because I think, like, I don't know, maybe because I actually, act, after having been to the UK about, like, three years ago, um, in Scotland, not Ireland, but, you know, I mean, people confuse for each other, but, you know, they're, they're more different than you think they are. I mean, they're not the same. That, <laughs> but, that, yeah, that's another thing that really makes this movie succeed is its atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Most of the, the whole movie takes place on this island and also really does a good job at taking its time, getting the audience to know the community and the people, because they also mentioned, like, word travels fast around this island, also because... Most of them are like farmers, so they just and they spend a lot of time in this pub. And once they even something as simple as a friendship, like being broken, that like change causes like a rift in the town. Just like, oh, he's not talking to Padraig anymore. Like what what happened? It's like that's how fast the word travels. And it does such a great job at building these characters. And it's really it's really only focused on four characters because we have Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Carrie Condon plays Shaban, who is um Padraic's sister and then Barry Keoghan is um Dominic who is more of like he he doesn't have any relation to them but spends a lot of time with them and that sounds vague but he's he's kind of a big character that I don't really want to get get too much into but it does set, it it's really more like a character piece between these four people and it really takes its time in terms of developing their relationships and you 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 never really see or know why these two became friends in the first place, but it's so smartly written with the conversations that you just know they have such a long and presumably very um, fruitful history too. They're just like yeah. it's just like they clearly were good friends, and just like what happened, like how did this? Why did they stop becoming friends? But it never gives you all those answers, just because it's you can just tell like yeah something's wrong, something's weird, but you get their relationship. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I 
I mean, I obviously haven't seen it, but I think like you know, like how you're just describing it, it's like you know, it's it's like life, man. Like you know, <laughs> you have like so many friends that you can come across in this span and like your entire life, but you know, in the end, it's like you know, maybe things can kind of be abrupt. Maybe things can you know just kind of coast off. But when you interact together, like when like fifty years or so, you could be the same interactions. I mean, it always. Like, kind of has it that way. I mean, I saw childhood friends that I go and see, and, like, you know, they still talk to me the same way that they've been talking to me since high school. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we've been, it's kind of like that in, like, many cases. And I, I mean, which, you know, I think, like, makes it very, like, authentic, like, if that's, like, how it's described. Because, you know, I mean, you can, it's like you can kind of tell somebody's known, like, they've known each other for such a long time because of the way they interact with each other. I mean, that's like, that's, I think that's like, you know, what makes like, you know, conversations, conversations. I mean, it works out that way. What, what also really adds there that the, all the performances are top tier, especially Colin Farrell and show this year, he's had quite a few performances, but like the difference between his role in this movie and his role as the penguin and the Batman really shows his range as an actor to a point. I've always loved Colin Farrell as an actor, but it wasn't until this year where I think he's like, I solidified him as like one of the best actors of like the past few generations just because he is so good at really like morphing into the characters that he plays. Like every time he's on the screen, you don't see Colin Farrell, you see Padriac. And I, I'm probably mispronouncing that because this is, they, everyone speaks in a very, um, in a very sharp Irish accent. So it's, and that's also kind of what makes the dialogue so good is the way they speak to ultimately adds a lot to the, comedic elements like their dialect and also the words that they use too but man he like transforms into this character and just feels so believable because at times you can tell he's like heartbroken but he also just wants to move on with his life too and you're not really sure like what's going on in his head at moments you're like okay i see why he wants to do it but you're, you're just like maybe you should just like lay off a bit like he clearly doesn't want to talk to you calm doesn't want to talk to you so like maybe you should just like do something else but he's so persistent in terms of like I want to see what's going on and I want to get I want this friendship to be restored it's and his motivation and his drive to do that is like really admirable but at the same time for like Brendan Gleeson too who is equally fantastic in this movie just the way he puts his foot down just like no like stay away from me just like I want to do something more with my life that's also really cool too like just all the performances are fantastic yeah that's great I mean do you kind of like think that you know maybe there could be some awards consideration? Oh, absolutely, for and absolutely. I really hope they get nominated. This this has potential to be one of the front runners for like many awards. I don't know if it's going to win a lot of awards, oh, but yeah, it'll definitely get nominations. Though. Oh yeah, there's a lot I'm, of front runners. I'm willing. This year. I'm willing to bet this will get nominated for like best picture, best actor, supporting actor, supporting actress, a screenplay. I'm willing to bet at least those five or six, maybe even director too. But it, it seems like this year, this year shaping up to be a really strong year for films, especially in the fall season. So oh, it's yeah. very, it's a very tight Oscar yeah, race this year. Yeah, especially with like a lot of the stuff that came out in like the summer and like um, mid spring, like yeah. everything overall at once. Obviously, that needs some introduction. Mm -hmm. The Batman, I mean, which you know might have slipped a little bit, but you know it could gain momentum. It could gain some momentum, and you know there's just like the Fablemans is going to be coming out. The Will is going to be coming out. Um, there seems to be a lot of like films this year that are going to really compete for that top Oscar spot, which is going to be interesting. Yeah. 
before we transition into a quick rant spot and we'll be right back with more Bijou Banter. Welcome back to Bijou Banter. We are continuing our conversation on the Banshees of Inishirin. And at least from the two films that I've seen from him, because Martin McDonough doesn't have a very large body of work for films. He's only made four or five films. Yeah, four if, or five films, yeah. Yeah, I've only seen two of them, but um, compared, comparing this to Three Billboards, this, in my opinion, is very is much better than Three Billboards. And that's not to say I disliked it. I really liked that movie, too. But this one had a much better... Um, control. It had more control over the blending of its emotions because I I know recently, like within the past few years, I've learned that some people don't really like Three Billboards, and sometimes they say like it's because of the way like with the dialogue, but also the way it handles some of its issues, and especially and also too with its emotion because at times it's dramatic, but also at times it tries to be funny. This one has a much smoother blend between the two because it's equally hilarious and equally heartbreaking at just the right moments like when it needs to be funny it goes all in and it's not like it's like slapsticky it's just in the dialogue and like the way they just have this banter just seems so natural and the conversations too are just really really funny and that's why i recommend if you would like to seeing this in the theater i saw it opening night last week in a packed house at film scene and everyone was just laughing it was crazy like they were really getting into this movie but when it had to go to the serious stuff, then that's when it just got like dead silence. So it's like those are the best types of reactions that a film like this can elicit that I think was improved upon from three billboards. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen I think all I've seen all of his films except for Six Shooter, which is actually a short film he worked on that actually mm-hmm. got him an Academy Award the year it was nominated. So, oh, OK. So, yeah, he so, yeah, he he was a former Oscar. He was a former Oscar winner at one point. I mean, he, he could still, he still could be like, especially if like award season still coming around the corner. But I mean, I've seen him Bruges, Seven Psychopaths and Three Billboards. Um, you know, I there's always like a distinct style of McDonough um, where it's somewhat kind of like a Guy Ritchie, except I think it's a little bit more um, provocative in some way, I think. And like, it has a little more to, there's more to his stories and I think it's all based on, like, you know, he's definitely an actor's director. Um, mm-hmm, definitely. Because yeah, he has... He works with the same people yeah, all the time. Like, I mean, it's always Gleason and Farrell, but, you know, he could sometimes put McDormand in the mix. He can sometimes put Christopher Walken in the mix because, you know, he's he's a very good actor's director. He does a good job, like, being sure that, you know, a lot of his films are based around uh, character. And I think that's, and I, I think that's always been a good strength for him. It's like, he's always like a very, like good direct, like a very good director when it comes to characters and really making sure that they all have like loads of personality after they uh, get into the, uh, after like, after you introduce them. And I mean, and I always like three billboards. It's a very like solid film. Um, I, and Bruges is always great. I think that's like just a great film. Some in Psychopaths is okay, but I, I don't know. I'm still entertained by it because of the big cast of characters it has. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe Banshees of Inisherin could like be that one film where you know it's like you know it's so contained, but you know maybe it could like you know still give me like a good moment with these characters, which is like how you're describing it. It's like a good time with these characters, despite like all these bad situations in the air and you know yeah because a very dreary ireland like because yeah, it only it focuses 
it, it focuses on four characters, but honestly, most of it is only three characters at most. So that really gives the audience enough time to be fully invested in their actions and their motivations. And with the black comedy too, because McDonough, as far as I'm aware, really has done a lot of black comedy because um, like In Bruges is supposed to be like that. And I've heard Seven Psychopaths as well. Yeah, yeah most definitely. And that really is shown here because a lot of the, especially with Brendan Gleeson's ultimatum in the, like in the later half is really like serious. And it's just like the build up to it is what makes it so well. It's like, it shouldn't really be funny, but the way they deliver it, the way they execute and the way it's built up to you're, it's like you, you cringe, you cringe laugh in, in a good way. You're not laughing at it. You're laughing with it because it gets to a point where this simple thing of, of friendship breaking apart is escalated to such ridiculous lengths, but that's what makes it work so well too. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds, it sounds very great. I mean, we'll kind of see what my thoughts are. After I see it this weekend, I might pull, try to pull off a triple feature of this tar in the wall and kind of see how it all goes. I mean, we'll, we'll check, we'll check. Yeah, and I, I guess just because, um, at least amongst us two, I'm the only one who saw it, we could kind of wrap this up a little earlier too, just because it, this is a hard movie to talk about because a lot of it, a lot of what I believe made my experience so strong was the fact that I didn't really know much about it going in. And... I would recommend not really looking up much about it too, just because it would be better for for your experience if you would like to. But yeah, Banshee's Been Assuring is, in my opinion, one of the best films of the year. It's like so well written, so well acted, beautifully shot and edited too. Just everything about this movie is done successfully and with very, very few flaws, honestly. It's probably one, it's, yeah, it's definitely in my top 10, maybe in my top five, just because it's that strong of a, of a film. And it's still playing a film scene at the Chauncey. Check it out if you would like to. And it's considered one of the um, front runners for this year's Oscars, Oscar nomination. So we'll check back on that in a few months. But for now, I'm going to give Banshee of Inishirin a 9 out of 10. It is excellent. And that wraps up this episode of Bijou Banter. Tune in next week where... Hopefully we'll be we'll be on. We're about to head back uh, home for Thanksgiving, but potentially we'll talk about After Sun and something else. Yeah. So until then, I've been Matthew. And I've been Daniel. We will see you all next time. Bye-bye.